Welcome back, Toronto. Scott Reed sitting in as your guest host this afternoon. News Talk 1010. I'm here all day today until 6. I'll be here tomorrow from 2 to 6. Tomorrow we're going to talk a lot of Super Bowl because I'm a 49ers fan and I'm obsessed with the need for victory. I'm very excited about the big game. Lots of news going on here today. Lots of news to discuss. Lots of politics and much else. And that means we have plenty of fodder for our smart speakers. And we're going to be talking to them for their next two blocks here. First, we're joined by Faye Johnstone co-owner and executive director of consulting firm Wisdom to Action. Tim Powers is the chairman of Summa Strategies and the managing director of Abacus Data. Also a very dangerous person with a strange and very suspicious background in rugby. So people should keep that in mind. And the 49ers suck. Oh, God. All right. We'll take that up with your buddy Cochran. Uh, All right. Now, all you Newfoundland Mafia, you guys. Um, We had a big national summit on the issue of auto theft today. Prime Minister even hinted that possibly there could be tougher penalties for thieves who are involved in carjackings and, you know, the, that portion of the auto theft that involves, you know, some violent crimes and maybe they jack up some sentencing or something. That was something we also heard Pierre Polyev talking about last week. Tim, you're a man of action. Let's start with you. What would you do if you wanted to put a dent in the crime of auto theft? <laughs> I maybe encourage people not to buy cars that are going to get stolen. Failing that, Scott, I think, look, this is fascinating, right? You, I, Faye, who would have guessed this suddenly has become such a national issue? Why is it a national issue? Well, the, 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 the stealing seems to be happening in key electoral battlegrounds, uh, and it's uh, en masse. So to answer your question, um, there's the politics of this, but what can you do on a policy front? Uh, I've heard the Pierre Polyev talk about sentences uh, being increased for all of this, but does that bring us back to a place of mandatory minimums? Uh, do we, you know, do, do, does the Prime Minister and Pierre Polyev talk about more boots on the ground, more police officers, but surely, you know, they have better things to do than try and get stolen cars. Maybe you, 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 this all seems to be organi- emanating from organized crime. I don't know if there's tougher things we can do to stop the flow of cash that seems to be so important to organize crime on this. I have no clue, but I've heard a million suggestions. I don't know which one is right. All right. Well, that was deeply insightful. Thank you, Tim. Uh, You're welcome. 49ers still suck. Go ahead. <laughs> Faye, let me go in a slightly different direction since Tim pointed out to us that there's absolutely no uh, crop to be harvested on that question. What... What do you make of the politics of this? Like when the government calls together the national summit, you get a bunch of provinces, different levels of police agency. You get, of course, the uh, border services. Pound for pound, does the government get some credit for today? Like do they at least look like they're taking the issue seriously? They're trying to do something? Or does it invite cynicism and people say they had a meeting? They had had a flipping meeting? Where, Where do you come down? Uh, you know, to me, it feels like they're, the Trudeau government is still just responding to what Pierre Polyev is putting on the table. And it feels like they're reacting and they're reacting uh, with a lot of photo ops. And, you know, I think a summit is a good idea. I think uh, bringing the sector and the right stakeholders together, you know, that shows that this is a thing they are working on. Uh, but why are they working on it now, not six months ago? Uh, and I do, you know, I have an answer on the policy side, actually. I okay, think the solution to rising, to rising auto theft 
is build more and better public transit. So nobody needs those damn cars. <laughs> oh, God, you're one of those people. Sure. That's how my <laughs> Range Rover will drive its way home to me if I get a bicycle. Come on. All right. I think it'd be a good time. And I don't know what the 49ers are, but I hope that they win and lose. All right. Well, no, that can't happen. All right. Um, Scott, I I had a a politician I was talking to from Atlantic Canada today where this isn't a significant issue other than in the port of Halifax, which apparently gets a ton of vehicles as well, not just Montreal. And the question that politician posed is, is this really an issue? Um, And I think it goes back to the point that nationally people are looking at this and saying, okay, why, why with everything else that's going on, are the two main parties falling over each other? to try and get uh, some attention around all of this when there are much more significant issues at play. It's, it's truly fascinating in that regard. Well, let's stay with that issue because I have a suggestion. It might just have something to do with the very seat-rich band yeah. of uh, constituencies around uh, Toronto. And there's a new poll out by our pal Nick Manos. And not only does it show that the federal liberals are 15 points behind in terms of popular vote intention to the conservatives, but he's got a seat projection model. I mean, like how many seats would the liberals win in the election as compared to the conservatives as compared to the last election? And in that band of the 905 in those seats around Toronto, from where I speak, by the way, I might point out to you, Tim, as you diss everybody who's not from uh, Atlanta, Canada. Um <laughs> They're going to get pounded. Like the liberals, it's just it's just savagery, and they're going to lose tons and tons of ridings. And it's not just actually in the 905. It's in those battleground spots of Metro Toronto, um, Metro Toronto, and Metro Vancouver. So you think about. I kind of always think of it as like the Mississaugas and Bramptons and the Surreys, and that is. It really looks like this thing is headed for a bloodbath. Any thoughts on that, Tim? Yeah, I, I look, I, our, our abacus state is very similar to Nick's. I think the, the liberals are struggling in urban settings, and that's how they won last time and held on. They do well in urban areas. I think that's why, Scott, you're also seeing the liberals go after uh, Polyev quite ruthlessly on Daniel Smith and her policy and trying to, uh, as you and I discussed yesterday in another place, trying to, to expose him as being somehow somewhat intolerable. So we should expect that to continue because I think the liberals see that uh, as a way of perhaps changing the tide. But, boy, that tide's pretty far in, it seems, right now. So, Faye, let me ask you. The book on Pierre Polyev is he's too hardcore to the right. He's too pure, anger populist, rage farmer politician. That's what people say who oppose him. The polls don't show that that's resonating very much, those criticisms. But is there anything in his politics that would allow the liberals to reclaim some ground in the ring around Vancouver, in that ring around Toronto? Do you see him vulnerable on those issues or are the liberals going to have to beat him on the economy and other bread and butter issues? You know, I think it would be better for the country if the Liberals were smacking him around on economic issues. But I do think that Pierre himself is is in a tricky position. And I think it's going to show itself more as the election nears. Uh, you know, my read on what Danielle Smith has done in Alberta, uh, you know, she's not 
you know, anti-gay or anti-trans, but what she has is a powerful faction in her party that is pushing these kinds of policies. And they have a lot of popular support and a really powerful messaging machine uh, to push that agenda. And so I think Pierre is going to see that effort in his own party for him to take a firmer stance. And I don't think he actually wants to. I, you know, when he commented on puberty blockers, I felt that uh, as him being stuck in a position where he couldn't criticize a conservative premier, but wanted to move the story and they wouldn't let him do so. So I think if he leans in, it'll be trouble for him and more trouble than it's worth. Uh, but he's got a difficult political equation to do there. We, we only have a minute left, so let's just stick with this topic rather than move on. We'll wait till we get on the other the other side of the break, but move into other things. So, Tim, I mean, you've worked in and around politics for a long time. Pierre Polyev, I know this is the this is like this is the epitome of loser talk. What I'm about to say right now, right? So, the loser talk would be, well, that Pierre Polyev, he's in a tough spot. He's got such a huge lead, and it's a year and a half to the election. Nothing tougher than sitting on a large lead. Any truth in that? Yeah, well, look, uh, your team almost didn't make it into the playoffs because another team was sitting on a large lead, and that didn't work out very well, did it, for the Detroit Lions, but it worked out for you. Um, uh, He he still has to demonstrate that he can win, and yeah, he's got to protect a large lead, but you're not going to win entirely by just sitting back and crossing your fingers, because that would be a significant underestimation of the liberal political machine that, yes, is in trouble now, but historically has shown it knows how to pick points up when it matters. I think that's right. I think uh, in many ways, the key for Pierre Polyev will be something that he's instinctively inclined toward, which is stay on the front foot. Don't go on the back foot. Uh, Keep putting it to the government. And I think that's probably what he's going to do. Faye Johnstone, Tim Powers, our smart speakers for this afternoon. I'm Scott Reed sitting in as your guest host here on News Talk 1010 on The Rush. When we come back, we're going to have more smart speakers. Faye and Tim will be here after traffic. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Scott Reed sitting in here as your guest host on The Rush all the way to 6 o'clock tonight and 2 to 6 tomorrow on the Mighty 1010. I was like, John Moore always calls it the Mighty 1010, like the Mighty Thor. Like, it's like, it's like, don't screw with our radio station. We have broad shoulders and we are not to be trifled with. But in any event, I am here and it is time for Smart Speakers, where we have two of the best and the brightest to comment on all of the day's issues. Faye Johnstone, co-owner and executive director of consulting firm Wisdom to Action, and Tim Powers is the chairman of Summa Strategies and the managing director of Abacus Data. All right, guys, here in Ontario, sorry, Tim, I'm going to keep you in Ontario. I know you like to, like, you know, talk about Newfoundland and Labrador without pause. Here in Ontario, <coughs> excuse me, the Ontario curriculum is changing for schools, and among other things... They're adding mandatory requirements for teaching black history. It's Black History Month. Makes perfect sense. A little bit later, the minister is going to be here to talk about those changes. <clears throat> what do you think of that? Is that a good thing? Should it be mandatory? Sorry, that was to Tim. Sorry, Scott. I wasn't sure who it was. Um, I think any history course should be mandatory. It's important to know where you, where where your society came from and all of the factors that contributed to it. Uh, black history should be mandatory, as should be a general history of of um, uh, of, of Canada and or the province. Uh, that I think is important for civic literacy, literacy and societal literacy. We uh, we've done some polling on this and. 
see there's great gaps in in people's understanding of, of how things work and the institutions that are there and putting in history like black history uh, and other forms of history is vital to all of that. So I'm all for it being mandatory. Faye, there's a whole pile of other changes as well. Um, none of them look particularly controversial, at least to my eye, my untrained and inexpert eye. But, you know, there are things like, listen, we're going to add in some business courses that are a little bit more hands-on, like, you know, grade 10 kids are going to learn, like, you know, the spirit of entrepreneurialism and how to how to build a business. What do you think? Like, I mean, whenever I see that the curriculum is being changed, I always wonder, like, well, how did these... How did these decisions get arrived at? Like, who who picked this rather than that? And what's getting left out? I mean, so what, what do you make of these changes in sum? Uh, you know, I think I think they're they're good. They're positive. I like seeing more education on mental health. I think more uh, inclusion of Black history will hopefully have a, a longer term impact on the experience of Black students and on folks at school. Uh, but I don't see anything really significant here, and nothing that is you know getting me excited. I uh, do have to say that I'm very happy that Premier Ford is loudly and proudly rejected the path of Danielle Smith and is not going to be messing with our sex ed or anything like it. But in this, nothing really gets me up out of my chair. All right. Speaking of Doug Ford, let's stick with Ontario politics. <laughs> Mike, show us a little, uh, give, give us a little taste of uh, some of that sweet, sweet advertising. What if we told you there's a place powering the future with clean nuclear energy? And what if we told you, you already live here? Oh. What if we told you there was a place where the bread was buttered, where the honey and the milk ran? Oh, so these are brand new advertising campaign. Uh, the conservative government isn't acknowledging at this point what their overall spend on advertising, but it's starting to get the reaction from all the usual places where people are saying, look, you know, now we're, we're, we're seeing this increasingly political advertising, higher and higher sums of money are spent on on government advertising, but it's really, really intended to make you feel positive about the current government <laughs> as they aim toward re-election in a couple of years. Tim, do you, like, I mean, there have been, we've seen this go back and forth. We've seen yeah. the governments bring in really tight rules or all you can advertise like some terrible test pattern, you know, public service announcement. Then you've seen like the Wild West where it's like, hey, how about the premier, right? He rocks and you should rock by <laughs> rocking for him. Um, where do you fit on this spectrum? It's almost like you were channeling Donald K. Donald there. and We're dating ourselves knowing who <laughs> Donald K. Donald was, uh, Scott, or is. Um, I'm all for tourism advertising and smart advertising that uh, that attracts people to the province. That The ads you just played, what I'm seeing about them, what I've seen so far, I should say about them, don't appear to be that. Um, and, and look, we'll take you on an advertising fight any day of the week, Newfoundland and Labrador, to get it in again. Like, we crush the country in good ads. But again, they're direct very specific audiences to come and spend your money in Newfoundland and Labrador. This seems to be feel good about Ontario. I would join the chorus, I guess, of people who say, okay, well, is there any other economic purpose there? The only other economic purpose I can see, and I appreciate today's a tough day for Bell Media, um, is that it does provide some advertising dollars to media companies that still are struggling. Uh, so if that's part of it, okay. But otherwise, yeah, 
ah, they're just another way of dressing up a government uh, before uh, before they go into a period where they're going to spend their own money on election ads. So, Faye, I'll, I'll, I'm going to I'm going to tilt the playing table here because I, I I'm going to give you a take and let you react to that as opposed to the general issue. Um, and I'm a creature of government and politics, so I recognize this. I've had my hand in the greasy till of the taxpayer, okay? But I, I think I, we live in changing times, you know, and, and we're in a time now where it's harder and harder and harder for governments to get through. And I'm not terribly shocked to see governments spending more, even if it's pretty dressed up, to try to get through to people. And it is going to cost more, and you're going to have to advertise more, um, because it's harder and harder to find people. It's harder and harder to reach people. Audiences are more scattered, more fractured. Um, is, is, is that part of the calculation at all? Do you think there's any merit to that? I mean, you're just like, no, this is just a bunch of political hacks trying to get away with it. This is just a bunch of political hacks trying to get away with it. Oh. Uh, but no, you know. <laughs> but you know, I, I agree with you on that. It's harder for government to reach people, and we, you know, it's it's hard to to get folks' attention. Uh, but I don't think you do that with like warm, fuzzy, ooh, we love the government kind of messaging. I think if they had something exciting, there was something enticing or something new that makes sense. If there's something the public really needs to know, put those dollars, get that reach have that impact but this like i saw this and i kind of just shrugged and i if i had been watching it on tv i would have turned the channel (laughs) but doesn't it sort of broadly make you feel more positive with the ontario government i mean this is a nice province and if it's such a nice province with so much on offer well it it stands to reason it must be governed by awfully nice people who have great <laughs> values and probably deserve to remain there and be reelected over and over again. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't suck up that vibe at all, Tim. But turn it into a tourism ad, then make it less controversial. I, I mean, look, Newfoundland has done this for years. You'll remember your great friend Danny Williams. Oh, I do. Uh, yeah, well, I'm just poking the bear here today with you. But um, he would, for example, he gave three million dollars annually to the Republic of Doyle program in Newfoundland and Labrador. Here, a government, a government funding a TV program directly, line item in the budget, three million dollars, because he knew the power of that program to showcase the province was worth doing. I think provinces should do that. And that in turn does produce a political benefit because then you get seen with, you know, the great creators and actors and performers. So Ontario could could do that instead of these, you know, ads that are not as quite exciting. And what if we told you there's a place where it's all (laughs) happening? Well, wow. you make a good point, really... Tim. That's the only time that I agreed with that rat fink Danny because he was giving money at least to our pal Alan Hocko's show. So, exactly. Uh... Thank you very much. Tim Powers, Faye Johnstone, our smart speakers for this Thursday. We'll see you again next week, guys. Have a great, great, great weekend. Go Niners, Tim. Put on your red hat. Come on. Scott Reed sitting in all afternoon here on The Rush. When we come back, we're going to have lots more to talk about. Don't go anywhere.